My life used to feel like I was stuck on autopilot, trapped in the same thought loops, worries, and fears. Then something major happened. Enter psychedelics. My name is Kat Walsh, and you're listening to Trip On This. Join me as we journey together into these mysterious realms, discussing everything from personal transformation, otherworldly experiences, and practical at-home tips. Welcome, fellow traveler, to the land of limitless possibilities. Welcome back, my friends. It's your host, Kat, and today's episode is all around sex, pleasure, and psychedelics. I mean, does an episode get juicier than that? I'm with Dr. Molly Malouf. She's a physician, entrepreneur, Stanford lecturer, and the author of The Spark Factor. We recorded this episode at the MAP Psychedelic Science Conference. And although I had seen Molly actually lecture before, just getting to sit with her and hearing the absolute wealth of information that comes out of this woman is honestly just so next level. It's awe-inspiring. I'm like, how is there so much information on the tip of your tongue in every moment? It is quite an impressive feat of just sheer intelligence and information. And by the way, like fun information, you guys. But before we get into today's episode, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Advanced Myco. All right. If you are interested in growing magic mushrooms, super easy. I'm talking like literally anyone can do it. This company, Advanced Myco, specifically with their shroom bag, is for you. It's literally like a point, click, enter syringe, and then watch these babies grow like a chia pet. If you want to actually hear more about this particular company and how to do the actual growing, like step by step, there's another episode that I released, I want to say like a couple episodes ago, where I actually talk to the founders and we go through the entire process. So if you are interested in both that episode, I will link it uh, below in the copy of this episode, but I'll also put the website details and all of that. So yeah, you can kind of learn and see about the whole process, how to do it, and truly how easy it is. For the actual grow bag, head over to advancedmyco.com. It's on the screen and also in the caption, and you can get $5 off your order if you use the code TRIPONTHIS. And then for your actual syringe of the liquid mycelium, which is actually what your mushrooms are going to be, head over to C, as in like the letter C, two as in the number C, myco. Again, it'll be on the screen here or in the caption. That's where you're going to get the the mycelium of the mushrooms that actually grow. There's different types on there. And again, when you go to either website, you can use the code TRIPONTHIS and get $5 off each on each order. So definitely check it out if growing mushrooms is for you. And with that, I pass it over to Molly Malouf. Molly Malouf, it is so good to see you. Uh, Take two? Yeah. Okay, yeah, we're we're, we're just figuring it out here in Denver, Colorado, where we finally are. We're at the MAPS Science Conference, and I am so excited to be talking to you today about love, sex, psychedelics. So for my audience that is brand new to you, can you just talk a little bit about your background and what pulled you into knowing about wanting to learn about the science of love? Well, I have been a doctor to executives for 10 years and I've been working with all these companies, helping to develop products and services around metabolism, measuring blood sugar. And I really thought that personalized precision medicine was what I would spend the rest of my life doing. But I 
found that the world was kind of catching up and everybody was starting to do what I was doing. It was very cutting edge 10 years ago. And I still practice that. But when I was teaching health span extension at Stanford, one of my lectures was about human connection. And I thought to myself, how is it that I missed something so fundamental to health? How could I have, how could I have missed that in 10 years of clinical practice? The fact that human connection is actually more likely to predict longevity and happiness mm -hmm. than any other thing that we know. Social disconnection is a bigger driver of disease than smoking, drinking, sedentary behavior, and obesity. What? Like how, it, I was so focused on metabolic health. Right. And I said, you know, I feel like I figured out health. I wrote a book on health span, mm -hmm. a book on biohacking for women. Um, it's called The Spark Factor. But it was really the realization that nobody is tackling human connection and mm -hmm. sexuality like yeah. the way I'm seeing it. Yeah. And people haven't created a new sex therapy since Masters and Johnson. So like God, this is right. literally the 60s, like all over again. Mm -hmm. And there's a psychedelic revolution and I think we need a sexual re revolution. Absolutely. So I just thought, okay, I'm gonna continue doing my practice, working mm -hmm. with executives, optimizing the health of these amazing rock star performers. But I really like the idea of working on the edge. I wanna yeah. be, I wanna like, there's that Kurt Vonnegut quote. It's like, I wanna get as close to the edge as I can <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. because that's where like the most interesting things happen, right? Absolutely. So um, you can just see, see so much more there than you can from the center. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like psychedelics, you know, everybody was talking about how these were groundbreaking tools for trauma and they are. Right. But. I didn't have PTSD when yeah. I was using MDMA in my late 20s and I experienced a accidental sexual healing. Mm. I had sexual dysfunction that right. I didn't even know I had until uh -huh. it was gone. Yeah. And so I was starting this company in 2021 20, because I saw all these companies run by men in the psychedelic space. And I was like, what about women's health? What about our problems? Look at, look at this. Look at like how many, no offense, like Viagra's are on the market, but there's there was one that I know of was a mind cure that was, yeah. it was just, and which there's only one pill, right? Company's idea. First of all, they're no longer in existence. Yes, I know. Because karma's a bitch. Because the founder of that company, I had a call with her and I told her my idea and she ran with it. What? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, turns we're, we're going to, yeah, we'll talk more about the company. That I'm not going to, I'm not going to bad mouth bank here, but like that wasn't the team to do this. Okay. Yeah. And you know, what we're focusing on right now is developing the world's best sex therapy. And we also are going to combine it with psychedelics mm. as a psychedelic assisted sex therapy. Why do you think psychedelics for sex? Like what about the psychedelic experience do you think opens up the aperture of the sexual experience? Well, there's two ways to think about this. The first is the disease model. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of trauma that affects sexual function mm -hmm. and the nervous system gets dysregulated through trauma. And when you re-experience um, contexts that remind you of the trauma that you had, that can actually cause you to go into a, a traumatic response. So mm. fight, flight, freeze. For a lot of people, freeze is what happens. They dissociate, they, right, they, they right. get stuck. Yep. And that really inhibits full surrender. And causes people to really never be able to let go. I, and that was yeah. me in yeah. my 20s. I had, yeah. you know, a lot of, um, I had lack of arousal with a partner. I had lots of pain and I couldn't orgasm with a guy, even though I could orgasm by myself. Yeah. And I was just like, what is wrong with me? And I honestly never went to a doctor because I didn't have enough distress about it. Right, right. But I really didn't realize how bad my sex life was until mm. I had fixed it on accident. And I had used MDMA with a partner in a sexual context and it accidentally 
re-regulated my nervous system. I'm not recommending people go do this because the way that we engaged with this was not like practiced or anything. Yeah, it was sure. just very much experimentation. Mm-hmm. But um, and and we'll get into this because there's very much a lot of risks with experimentation. But sure. uh, you know, I'm like one of those people who's willing to take those risks. Yeah. And um, as all good researchers, I mean, you got to practice on yourself first and be the, like, this works. <laughs> some of the best science comes from comes from accidents. Uh, I mean, totally. Even Viagra. These guys were testing it for a completely different condition. No, and, and they, they got keep getting hard ons. They wouldn't give back the medicine. <laughs> They wouldn't give back the medicine to the to the researchers. They're like, no, no, we're gonna we just we, we ran out. And they're like, what do you mean you ran out? They're like, well, we don't want to give it back to you because we really like it. Oh and my they god, were getting that's these hilarious. Erections. But um, <laughs> so there's the medical model, right? And then there's also the fact that like MDMA was used with 500,000 people before it was banned, mm. and it was legally distributed in couples therapy, mm-hmm. and it was totally you know commonplace. At, back in the 60s, 70s, and then the DEA illegally banned it. Yep. And it had so much potential. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Nixon era of drugs are going to kill you and we must fight the drug war yep, yep. really were, really set us back, you know, many, 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 many years it's in research about and development. free love at that time too, right? Like the, the correlation now of what was probably the most liberated sexual time exactly. in our history. And suddenly all, all of it had to just be like buried well, in... There was a lot of irresponsible behavior. There was a lot of totally. free for all. Totally, totally. And you know, we do know that there's no free lunch when it comes to biology. There's always risks. Mm-hmm. And you know, the AIDS epidemic happened yeah. in the 70s and 80s, and it was um, it, it there's we're now in a different place than we were back then. We mm-hmm. have a lot more knowledge. We have a lot more science. We have the internet. We have more knowledge at the at our fingertips than we've ever had before. Yeah. And people are still experimenting with these stuff yeah. with this stuff. And there's a lot of people using. Um, psychedelics for couples therapy, using ketamine for couples therapy. It's mm-hmm. happening today. But um, but there's a book called The Encyclopedia of Aphrodisiacs. And essentially every psychedelic is in there. And the thing that I didn't realize until I read the, this book was that, you know, we have this idea that you take these really high dose psychedelics for healing trauma and healing depression, mm-hmm. which by the way, depression is a huge cause of sexual dysfunction, especially SSRI use. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be using psychedelics for these problems. Mm -hmm. Um, Tommaso Barba is one of these researchers we're collaborating with. He has actually been studying psilocybin and its effects on sexual function Mm -hmm. and found that in comparison to SSRIs, it actually improved sexual function Mm -hmm. significantly, Mm -hmm. which not surprising. Now, um, all psychedelics are aphrodisiacs, but if you take them in lower doses, that's what makes them aphrodisiacal. It's these high-dose medicines that are more medicinal. Right. And so the dose is really how you determine the experience. Absolutely. So there's actually another researcher at Imperial College, Alexander Winger, who's building her career around studying sexuality and psychedelics. She's doing a study on microdosing and psychedelics. And I've actually Mm. spoken to a number of people about their anecdotal experiences and many women have said to me that when they started microdosing, it brought their libido back, which I think we need so much more research on this yeah. because this could be the Viagra of our you I know, mean, and, women. and the thing is that that's, that's good for everyone. It's yeah. Like also for the gentlemen too. I, I, it's an interesting concept that it's like so fixated on, uh, on the male side of things. But right. like if the female desire isn't there either, then there's just an inherent disconnect with men and women right yes. now in general. And I think, look, I think there's a level of, when you're in a very intimate setting and you're naked with someone, you're self-conscious, you're going through all the things and um, we get separated from that, right? We're, we're worrying about, are we good? Are we performing? Are we doing all the things? And I think that's a lot of the times that 
it's it's within that even the letting go process coming back to you talking about in your 20s it's like I felt like having sex in my 20s I wasn't even focused really on myself I was focused on am I good are you going to tell your friends I'm good you know like it's a and in many ways a performance it's a performance and it wasn't really into my 20s until honestly LSD which wow. I don't know why LSD in particular. Although on them, favorite ever, ever I mean, act. it is like it's hot, especially if you. Okay, I won't, we're not recommending, but like I've like mixed it with like a little bit of MDMA, a little bit oh, of I've LSD, heard that's great. and it's it's amazing. And, and it took me, it put me back in my body. Yeah, and it put me, and I realized like my own pleasure, like really being in pleasure, was actually more. Um, of a turn on and erotic for my partner. Yes. And it, and I wasn't mimicking what I saw in porn. It was just the true expression of like what feels good and realizing like, oh, that's felt beyond just what I sound like. I mean, to be honest with you, I think really good sex is when you're being pleasured or you're pleasuring your partner and you're experiencing your pleasure through the experience. Right. Whereas a lot of people are experiencing this performative sex they learn through porn Mm -hmm. and they're not embodied. They're Mm -hmm. not connected. And a lot of times they're masturbating with their partner's body. Yes. Which is disconnected and not really that great. Mm -hmm. And if you're running through sex scenes in your head to come, that's because you've been trained to come that way. Right. And so what psychedelics can do, it's a great book called Transforming Orgasms. And it's all about how psychedelics can lead you to deeper connectivity with your partner, more of this rhythmic entrainment of your bodies, mm-hmm. being able to drop into this trance, being able to experience some occasionally even non-dual states mm-hmm. of just complete unity, which is really transformative, but also be careful with who you do these with. Right. Because you can become prematurely attached to people. Mm-hmm. You can become attached to people you don't want to be attached to. Yep. There's a mass amount of oxytocin released during sex mm-hmm. and with psychedelics. So it's so important to people who are listening understand that these are not things you just necessarily should even though we've experimented, I wouldn't mm-hmm. recommend if you want to be actually really safe and careful that you go and spare experiment because there are risks. And so mm-hmm. you really got to educate yourself on what these things can do mm-hmm. and know who you're doing them with, know the set, know the setting, know the dose. There's a great video on the Shulgin Foundation's Instagram of Ann Shulgin and Shasha Shulgin talking about how they were very much sexual psychonauts mm-hmm. and they were experimenting with all sorts of psychedelics in their relationship, yeah. but they're in a committed relationship in a marriage yeah. and they're yeah. also studying psychedelics. So they yeah. know the dose yep. and they know the context and they know the setting and they know the set. And a lot of people who are flying blind take the wrong dose. They have a bad trip. They end up, you know, you, if you're not careful, you can end up in a non-consensual situation mm-hmm. and it's really hard to revoke consent when you've got lowered inhibitions. Right. And so I think, you have to be so careful with how you experiment with these things. Absolutely. And also you can wait for the research to come out because it's going to come out and it's going to take time, but it's happening. Do you think it's going to come? Do you think MDMA? So right now the focus is on PTSD, but do you think right behind it could be MDMA couple therapy? MDMA, yeah. like is that is that closer than we think? I think so. I mean, MAPS has a very specific protocol that they expect practitioners to follow. But the interesting thing about the protocol is that they're agnostic to the inter- to the integration. Mm. So you can integrate with whatever therapy the therapist wants to use. So they said, look, if you can prove your therapy is an efficacious therapy for sexual dysfunction, well, the number one cause of, of PTSD is sexual trauma in their studies. Mm-hmm. So they're like, we would love to see this kind of therapy evolve around, alongside what we're doing. Sure. Because we know that there are people that, you know, have their PTSD cured but their sexual dysfunction is still remains. Right, right, right. And that takes more effort to mm-hmm. disentangle. Um, 
just because you have psych- an MDMA experience does not mean your sexual dysfunction is going to just magically disappear right, right, right. Like, sure. like it did with me. Um, and I mean, also it's not about being in a state of, okay, the only way that I can be in this yeah. aroused state is through some kind of, a, sure. you know, molecule of some kind. The goal is that you can have a reference experience and you know what that, that template looks like. Mm. And then you can practice with your partner how to get to that place. Like there's actually a really great book called Transcend. It's called, there's two great books. One's called Transcendent Sex and the other one's called Magnificent Sex. And <laughs> those in, sound great. <laughs> they're really good books. But the reason why I'm bringing these up is because I was really surprised at when I was reading about the effect, like what is magnificent sex? Turns out the minor components of it are lust, desire, chemistry, and attraction. And we know that if you're on MDMA with a partner that you love, you're going to feel some desire with totally. them. But it's more like post-coital bliss because it's very hard for people to orga- orgasm on MDMA, but they can mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. There's also intense physical sensation and orgasm that are minor components to transcendent sex. Um, but the major components are being present, focused, and embodied, mm-hmm. connection, alignment, merging, being in sync, extraordinary communication, heightened empathy, deep sexual neurotic intimacy, authenticity, being genuine, uninhibited, transparent, transcendence, bliss, peace, transformation, mm. healing, mm. exploration, mm. interpersonal risk-taking, and fun, vulnerability, and surrender. I mean, I'm here. Intimacy, intimacy, intimacy. It's yes. actually about closeness. It's, it's actually about, about connection. Being there. Presently, very present with how you're feeling with your partner. And all of these experiences can almost reflect a psychedelic experience. Totally. And that's the thing I realized. I was like, oh, well, I've had sexual experiences that I found were as equal as a psychedelic experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's pretty wild if you think about it. Like, there's actually a woman, um, trying to think of her name, she actually teaches a psychedelic orgasm course to women on how to achieve cervical psychedelic orgasms and what what's her name um i have to look her up to like find her name but um while while you're looking her up i just want to i just you said something really quick and this is something i think like it might have gone right over uh our listeners head but it's quite it's i can anecdotally i could say like with mdma um feels awesome but you're right oftentimes a lot of like men they don't they can have sex, but they might not come. Also, like women, like it's not necessarily uh, <laughs> like where you climax. And so just for people like understanding that, like, oh, is MDMA right for me? Like, and why am I not working? Like, is my partner not attracted to me? Like, why can't you, you know, like that? No, like it's pretty common that there yeah. isn't a finishing, if you will. Yeah. Well, so we patented a love drug and we're waiting to find out if we receive the patent, but we file a provisional patent for a alternative to MDMA that you can have sex on. And now it basically helps rebalance different neurotransmitters that are the brakes versus the uh, gas pedal. Mm -hmm. And the problem with MDMA is it's more of the brake versus the gas pedal. Mm. And so you need to um, bump up the gas pedal neurotransmission if you want to enable sex during intactogenic experience. Got it. So... Question is: Is would the FDA ever let us approve a medicine that is a made love for drug bomb sex? Made for sex. <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> I just don't think it's going to happen. Mm. So I kind of paused that drug development because I was like, "Yeah, everybody wants this, but is this actually going to happen?" I mean, but it's just it, when we talk about quality of life and 
and that being such a basic I think, it should, I, mean, I think it should be available and I think if the world would be a much better place if people were having more sex well, well it, it, it strikes me as it's, it's interesting just around the like psychedelic conversation and, and kind of what you're talking yeah. about which is like okay so mental health depression anxiety things like this like oh yeah we're gonna green light that but things to increase human potential your capacity to feel to be intimate to um experience life even more enriched yeah seems to be a little bit more of an uphill battle and and which is odd because on we spend a lot of time on how we don't want to feel, but we seem to not spend a whole lot of time on how we want to feel. Well, that's true. But there's also people out there with primary anorgasmia. With, what is that? With, they've never had an orgasm. Oh. You know? Yeah. And there's people out there that have a lot of aversion and fear to sexual experiences because they have so much shame. Yeah. And there's so much psychosomatic sexual dysfunction. And it's like the FDA really only wants to approve drugs that like have a biological solution to an organic problem. They're not as interested in the things that are the psychosomatic. It's not as, that's not as important to them. It's not oh, their wow. priority. That's interesting. I'd love to talk a little bit now about just in terms of what is happening on a physical level when people are in love. Sure. I heard a, I heard a talk of yours before and I thought it was just fascinating. And I'd love for you to talk about like, and, and also if you can differentiate when somebody's experiencing, when they're reporting and saying, yeah. I am in love with my partner yeah. or I love my little boy sure. so much, or I love my mom so much. Yeah. Is the chemical release in the body, what's happening chemically sure. and is it the same? Okay. So let's go back to the Greeks because they had a bunch of different names for love. Um, love. And mm -hmm. I, I took notes because it's not, I can't remember all these, these terms, but so there's philousia, which is self-love. Okay. There's agape, which is the spiritual, unconditional love described by the religious and altruistic. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that self-love is highly under-researched. And compassion is pretty well-researched, though. So um, at least in clinical research around medicine, doctors that exhibit compassion, even for just a minute, have better health outcomes and lower health care costs. But I don't really know if we completely understand the neurobiology of compassion or self-love mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. Now, there's eros, which is the romantic love that's the passionate expression of sexual desire. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's related to the dopamine, dopaminergic system. Mm -hmm. It's like the feelings of this person is so significant to me, they're so important to me, mm -hmm. I really want them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then there's the norepinephrine, which is the mania of love, right? Okay. So yeah. this is the limerence or the love that makes people excited and obsessive or jealous. Okay. Yeah. So right. it's like, I can't eat. I can't sleep. I can't stop uh -huh. thinking yeah. about this person. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I can't um, live without them. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then there's the ludus or the serotonergic. I would consider this a serotonergic love. This is the playful love that makes you feel lit up and happy and joyful during the infatuation phase mm -hmm. of romance. But also, I think it's also around the feeling of feeling comforted at home with someone. And then the pragma is the matured, enduring love of long-term relationships. I think this is around the attachment drive. This is oxytocin neurobiology. Mm -hmm. Then there's philia, which is the affectionate love you feel for your friends. Also, I think related to oxytocin neurobiology. And storgia is the familiar parent-child love we feel for our family. And attachment is oxytocin and vasopressin neurobiology. And women are more oxytocin dominant. Mm -hmm. Men are more vasopressin dominant. Men are more likely to show their love by protection and defense and aggression against people that are trying to harm the ones that they right, love. Right. Um, that's men are men are made for this. And yeah. we know we don't want to turn that off in society. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. need men to be protective. Yes. Yeah. But 
women are really about nurturing and growing of children and and building these social bonds and connect mm-hmm. an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. Men have the same capacity, but women are built for this. And so it's not surprising that we play a bigger role in child rearing. It's bigger. We play a bigger role in community building. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that you know women have a superpower, and it's our ability to have this expansive emotional range of love. Mm-hmm. I think men have that too, but I think we're just made for it differently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, but I, I love, I was just talking, having this conversation just about like the, the conversation around like men and women were the same. And I'm like, no, we're, no, we're definitely not. not the same. And I, we don't want to be the idea same. idea <laughs> is bullshit. Yeah. We have, ma- like, now don't get me wrong. We have masculine and feminine qualities within us, but there are a lot of women like me waking up to this realization that this hyper masculine world we've been trained to live in Mm -hmm. is not in alignment with our biology. Right. And I wrote a book called the spark factor because I was biohacking myself and other women realizing it didn't work the same as biohacking men. Yeah. And it turns out that, you know, we have a cycle and Mm -hmm. we have a whole cycle of our, our lifespan is we have different hormones through different ages of our lives as women. But we also have different hormones throughout every month, every week of the month. Mm-hmm. And like, for example, I'm in my luteal phase right now mm-hmm. and I'm just generally more relaxed and more reserved. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to go on stage and pretend like you're in your follicular phase or your you know, um, ovulatory phase because you're just like, you wanna be more on stage during those phases. Yeah. You're more outward facing. And then you get to your, you know, luteal phase and you're just like, I just want to relax at home. Yeah, totally. And then you have to wake up and come on stage and record podcasts yeah, yeah, and do all these things. Yeah, yeah. But this is the this is the world that we live in and it's not made for women. Mm, and so yeah. we have to adapt. We have to like bleed during like business meetings, you know? Like And like be in pain. Being like pain. Being just and nauseous sometimes. Like the, well, I think the, a lot uh, of period uh, pain is a lot of un- unexpressed emotions mm-hmm. and also this re- like not having space to feel yeah. it mm-hmm. because we have to hide it. Yeah. You know, I yeah. actually really dealt with my period pain in the last year by learning to feel my feelings mm. and express them. Yeah. And whenever would it, would it move when you were moved. able to express it, you, the pain itself moved. It was the, it, but it was really the consistent working on the feelings before the period started right. so that you don't let them build up yeah. because they will come out if you don't feel them. Yeah. And so a lot of women don't realize that they're, there's a mind-body connection to their womb. Yes. And so if you don't feel your feelings and you pretend like you are invincible, you might end up with more you know, somatic complaints. Mm. Is And do you think it's because there's just a suppression so it's just keeping it, all of that, Emotion is it just being well, emotion is just energy body. and motion, right? Mm-hmm. But emotion that does not get felt get, can be can be blocked, right? And then when you have resistance to flow of energy, yes. that can lead to voltage drop, mm-hmm. and that can lead to pain because voltage is healing, mm-hmm. and low voltage can lead to pain developing. Mm-hmm. And when you say voltage, you're talking about energy. Energy. Yep. So there's this guy Jeffrey Tennant, and he's this doctor in Texas. He wrote a book called Voltage Is Healing, mm-hmm. and I personally subscribe to this idea that. You know, almost all modern chronic diseases are secondary to metabolic dysfunction. Okay. And the metabolic dysfunction is the dysfunction of the body's metabolism, starting with the mitochondria and the gut. Mm-hmm. The gut health and, the, and mitochondria, they're very interconnected. Um, mitochondria actually evolved from bacteria. And so we engulfed them in this thing called the endosymbiotic hypothesis. It's when single cellular organisms became multicellular organisms and enabled us to harvest and harness energy from our environment more efficiently, which enabled evolution. Mm. So 
if you look at the breakdown of human health in Western society and across the world, it starts with humans having their metabolisms hijacked by advertising of packaged processed foods, right. which are pure poison for right. gut health and mitochondrial health. Yeah. On top of that, we live in a highly stressed society, highly sedentary society. So we're not sending the signals to make more batteries. Mm -hmm. And we're also draining the batteries through chronic stress. Yep. And so when you look at the body through the lens And they're of, not feeding the body correctly to get any proper fuel. Exactly. Probably not resting well, drinking a lot of caffeine because you're not well rested. Filling your body with <laughs> poisons and toxins. Yeah. yeah. And, and, getting crashes from sugar. And like and women, you know, we, women are covering their bodies in chemicals. Yeah. Including me for most of my life, which are endocrine disruptors. And so, you know, it's not surprising we're all getting sick. Right. It's not surprising. Yeah. We have a sick society. Yeah. So... Anyway, where was I taking that? I mean, I think the idea generally is is that we just need to accept the fact that women and men are made differently. Mm -hmm. That is okay. We all need to work on integrating our masculine and feminine sides. Mm -hmm. We also need to not throw out our power. Right. Which is, there is immense power in being feminine. Yes, absolutely. And in our sex therapy we're developing, one of the things that really blew me away was this realization that when you're in the role as a um, as a receiver, yes. you can be an active receiver. Absolutely, and that receiving actively is a powerful place to be, versus being just being penetrated by a dominant partner. Right. It's like, what about when you learn to be penetrated by bringing someone into your body? Right. Which is a really powerful skill. Yes. And then yes. it shifts your mindset from. Being feminine is not weak. Being feminine is powerful. Yeah. And being receptive is powerful. Being able to receive and magnetize things towards you. Yes. Pull things towards is you. Is wildly powerful. Yes. You just think of the sperm and the egg. Like the egg is just like the female like Egg's just, just chilling. sitting there chilling and like sending signals like wants whatever the one it wants. And the, the, that masculine is like, okay, got to go get it. Got to go get it. And just like you see it in female male relationships now too yeah. that they, they, there used to be a courting from the male and there's been a almost a flip of that a little bit because maybe there's fear around there's not enough men or what whatever it is but the that it there's almost like women have almost adopted even like a, a male and that's okay go after what you want but there's there's still that like well, yeah there's the, a balance of like you can pull it into yourself too right. you know like if if you want it like tr trust it Trust that, yeah. like, got it. And he's, but yeah, it's the funny. chase. It's funny because, like, David Data wrote this great book called Intimate Communion that one of my advisors um, sent me. And this idea of this book is, like, the first phase of courtship is, like, you are looking for something just highly traditional, right? Mm -hmm. And then the second phase is, like, no, 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 I want 50-50. I want to be equal. I want to be treated Yeah, the same. yeah, yeah. And then you realize that that actually isn't very hot because there's mm -hmm. no polarity there. Yeah. And then the third phase is, like, no, I want to be embodied in my masculine and feminine. I want to be able to have the capacity to tap into both sides of myself, mm -hmm. but I'm choosing to play to my strengths yep. because that maintains polarity in the relationship. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's also just magnetic. It is. Magnetism it is. is literally being the same as you, being the same as your partner does not, uh, is not yeah. like, that's not that like, a magnetic, complimentary, like, a magnetic you think charge requires yeah. a positive and negative charge. Right, right, right. This is the nature of the universe. This is why, like, you know, you can't have electricity without without energy, without a positive and negative energy flow, yeah. without a differential polarity. And you can't have 
functional cells without polarity. Mm -hmm. Polarity is essentially life. Like Taoism is a religion of the universe, you know? Yeah. And ignoring that polarity on a societal level is a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. And it's not surprising that we have disaster after disaster after disaster in this country. We are ignoring the fact that we are lost in intimacy. We are lost in disconnection. Yeah. We are lost in understanding who we are as people trying to be who we're not. Mm -hmm. Men are becoming either these, these like sensitive new age guys that can't have a backbone. Right. Or, and they just like kowtow to women. Right. Or these hyper-masculine Andrew Tate type people that are just rebelling against femininities and feminism and becoming anti-feminist. Right, right, And then right, at the right. same time, there's the females that are like, I can be just like a man and I can do whatever a man can. And then they're in their masculine all the time and they're yeah. wondering why. I mean, this is just, this was me for a lot of my time in Silicon Valley. We're wondering why we struggle with our femininity. It's well, we've been playing masculine. Right, right, right. We're putting on masculine clothes, wearing masculine suits and trying to be masculine people and it's like that's not sexy yeah and that's just making us because we wanted to fit in we didn't want to we didn't want to be i mean you definitely don't want to go to a business meeting looking like i look today like mm -hmm. you will not be no one can hear you yeah so yeah, we yeah. did it because we needed to be taken seriously totally but then on the other side there's this femininity that's developed that that's developing and it's and i'm not gonna like badmouth anybody who's using their femininity and their sexuality to achieve things in life but there's this like hypersexuality movement of like, mm -hmm. I'm just gonna use my sexuality to make money. And it's it's adjacent to prostitution, which we should legalize. Mm -hmm. But we do need to accept that like the Kardashians have had a huge influence on female sexuality. And they've basically said that if you focus on your superficial sexual features and selling those and and then you're going to be accepted and loved. And so there's this whole market of hypersexual beauty clothing mm -hmm. that is an exaggeration of natural beauty right. designed to make women feel like if they don't do these things to their bodies, then they're not going to be taken seriously and they're not going to be seen as beautiful. Or desirable, right. And right. I'm just like, where can we integrate? Well, and where's the balance, Where's right? the integration be of this? And, and where it's like, yes, maybe not dressing sexy, but also where well, yeah, no, what, feel, sexy. what feels... What but feels, why, is it, why does or, it have to or, be an exaggeration? Yeah, I, I was saying like to a business meeting, I was like, yeah, but but there's... And what's, what feels good and also female leaders, you know, using like a feminine principle and not trying to be like a man and actually being maybe more collaborative and listening and, um, compassionate. Not, yeah. Compassionate, Nurturing. not leading, not leading maybe through force in that way and actually being able to hear more people and make a more measured, uh, approach to, to business is actually like, it's not just about like doing more that kind of like just come in and like bulldoze people. Well, so honestly, because it's, because it's, it's short term. I learned very recently at a big turning point in my career because I had been bulldozing through a project that did not turn out in my favor. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, what can you learn from this? And it was that, why are you not using your femininity to get what you want? Why are you using your masculinity when it's repulsive? Mm -hmm. when, a, mm -hmm. when a woman uses a hyper-masculine position to get what she wants it does repel people yeah and i mean that's where all the words like ballbuster and things like that like that all those terms that you hear it it's i'm amazed though when i use love 
in my life when I when I'm when I'm literally trying to just be a loving person, mm-hmm. how much better people respond oh to my me. God. The whole world, the whole world responds better. I mean, I I always like it's not through calling and getting angry at customer service. It's always through like talking to the human yeah. that they want to come through for you. Yeah. It's not through fucking I have to say I really struggle with customer service. I don't know why. <laughs> not there yet. It's so hard. Drop into your femininity. It's Molly. literally the hardest thing for me. Why is it so hard? It's all right. Listen, the the journey is an ongoing process. Right. So next time you're on customer service, you're like Okay, where is the nurturing Where is the nurturing where, where's, the, where's the patience? This is a person. <laughs> you know? That's hilarious. Oh my okay, God. so what is something that you just want to like shout from a mountaintop that most people don't know? Like what are one of those things that most people don't understand that you wish more people could understand? This could be about anything. Whatever is lighting you up right now. Okay, so I was doing this workshop with these sex therapists that helped me design this protocol for sexual dysfunction. And I really didn't fully get it mm-hmm. until I did this workshop. Okay. And so, okay, so there's this thing called friction sex versus suction sex. It's what? Friction what? sex versus suction sex. Section sex? Friction sex versus suction sex. Suction sex. Okay, I, I feel like you need to break it down for us. Okay, <laughs> so the best way to describe this is like, if you put your finger in your mouth and you go like this. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You really only feel the sensation around your lips. Right, right, right. But when you put your finger in your mouth and you suck on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You feel everything. Right, right. Right? And you put pressure on it. You literally <laughs> on it. You, you feel everything. <laughs> right. But the interesting thing is you don't need to move it around as much to feel everything. Right. So what they're teaching us is this form of sex called, fric- called suction sex. And I experimented with a partner and he had been watching some of these videos on my Instagram and was employing this technique and it was one of the most ecstatic experiences of my entire life. And I was thinking to myself, oh my God, this is it. Like, this is the movement we need because it's a, it's literally like Masters and Johnson didn't think that you could teach people how to have sex. So they taught people to have mindfulness-based sensual touch. And then they basically stopped at the act of sex. And I was like, well, wait, why don't we extend yeah, sex yeah, therapy yeah, yeah. into the act of sex. But a funny thing about mainstream sex therapy is that they don't really want to go there. Right. They want to talk around it. But yeah, I'm yeah. like, let's go yeah, to let's just go there. the edge. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Physically. People want to be like, literally, Molly, what do you mean? What step by step, girl, what is it? Okay. So <laughs> first and foremost, our protocol involves a practice called embodied consent. Okay. Yeah. So you have to learn to consent with your body, not just your voice. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't know how to read consent. So someone can be saying yes, but actually saying no. Yeah, okay. And we want to teach that first and foremost. Mm-hmm. We also are teaching self-love in our protocol because you really need to develop a better relationship with yourself before you develop a relationship with a partner. Then we teach people about how breathing through your, like breathing out, breathing, sorry, when you breathe in, and you push out your pelvic floor, mm-hmm. you're directing energy and blood flow to your pelvic floor, mm-hmm. which creates more engorgement, which creates more uh, arousal. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing that people don't really realize is there's an, there's homologous genital structures in men and women. But there's this girl on Instagram who's like on a – she's on a like a just absolute you know rampage trying to change anatomy textbooks because – <laughs> these textbooks are wrong and mm-hmm. they, they they have this picture of the clitoris and it's like a tiny little thing and it's mm-hmm, not mm-hmm, tiny. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. actually quite large mm-hmm. and it's just inside the body, not outside the body. So we have this idea that 
are, you know, genitals are like somehow inferior to men, that they need to be small, tight, and tucked away mm. because that's what's hot, because that's what we see in porn. That's right. what's been optimized for in porn. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, can we just all admit that this is optimizing for pediatric genitals? Okay? <laughs> An adult, mature woman in an aroused state has swollen, large, yeah, yeah, enlarged, yeah, yeah. engorged yes, yes, genitals. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. A child is what has small, tiny, tucked away genitals. So we have literally optimized attraction to genitalia to more resemble child a, than a, girl, a grown girl. woman mm-hmm. which and then and then you see like is just get why men are like disconnected like wait a minute you're like well we got <laughs> it's batshit i've actually never put that together to this podcast but like that's what people are being sold mm-hmm. is sexy mm-hmm. it's fucked up yeah okay i don't get it like mm-hmm. i don't i i actually do I, I saw one porn recently and this girl had like clearly engorged aroused wet mm-hmm. genitals mm-hmm. and i was like why don't i see more of that in sex and also you know it's sexier actually to watch it because you know she's enjoying it and yeah that's it's i, I mean i think the the hottest sex is when you can really tell you can tell they they're enjoying they're that into they're, it they're into it whereas so much of what i see in porn is like this is a woman who's performing enjoyment for her man Right. I am so fucking sick. I'm so fucking <laughs> sick of this performative sex culture where like even my trainer was telling me, she was like, Molly, you, all you got to do is teach these young girls how to squirt because that's how you keep a man. And I was like, no, no, that is not the solution. I mean, don't get me wrong. Squirting's cool. Everyone yeah. should learn it. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. that is not. Wor- but it's not about keeping a man that way. <laughs> it's like the, the, you really want to know how to keep a man is bond to him. Absolutely. Develop intimacy. Yeah. Create such deep connection that they can't live without you. Absolutely. Like, make them fall in love with you. Well, we, were, we literally designed our protocol to help couples fall back in love with each right, other. Right, right, right. Because a lot of people fall in love, and it's easy to fall in love. It's hard to stay in love. Yeah. So I was like, what if we could design this protocol to not just help people have reduce sexual dysfunction, increase sexual function, but also in, in, encourage secure attachment and create the conditions of more more love between and within individuals. So I wanted it to be a connection-based protocol, an mm-hmm. intimacy protocol. It's not really a sex therapy. It's an intimacy therapy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So go back to, okay, we're going to, this will, we'll end it. We'll talk a little bit of spark, spark factor and then we'll, we'll close. But you were talking about pushing down pressure. So you're, you're, you're pushing, your you're floor. breathing and you're learning to push and, and tip your, you're, you're either tipping your, your pelvis, pelvis. forward as a mm-hmm. thrust, mm-hmm. which is going to concentrate energy, mm-hmm. or you are going to torque backwards, mm-hmm. which is going to spread energy. And so you can learn to thrust with your partner and you can both be thrusting together mm-hmm. and breathing as you're thrusting. So, mm-hmm. and you're in and you breathe out. And so you're pushing this blood flow and you're pushing your pelvic floor to direct energy and blood flow to engorge your sex organs. I did this with a gay friend of mine. We were clothed and we were practicing in this workshop and we, both of us were like, I'm not even into you. Why am I so aroused? Mm. And it wasn't about them. It was about the practices. Right. And then if you, if one of your partners is thrusting and the other one is twerking, Mm -hmm. then there's this new angle of alignment of suction that can happen. So it's like your, your ones in your, your partner's inside you. So it's the, and it's the the suction, but it's just like minute movements of your hips that are not leading to 
like super thrusting. Yeah, yeah. But it's really about moving your body so that there's this suction created. Yes, yes, yes. And that there's engorgement and there's you're literally pulling someone into you. Yes. And then you're keeping them inside you through suction. Yeah. And then you're using your hips to generate more pleasure. Yeah. And more sensation. Oh my god, it sounds awesome. Kind of like moving your finger around. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Is everyone excited? I am. Right. Um, (laughs) I mean, I'm turned on. Uh, So we're 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 running our first um, program this year. We're doing a proof of concept study. And then we're going to run a much larger study online next year. We're going to be doing our first retreat at the end of the year. The company's called Adamo Bioscience. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to probably change the name just to Adamo. But we're launching our website soon. And um, But the best way to find out about this is to follow me on Instagram yep. um, at drmolly.co okay. or suctionsex at suctionsex. Perfect. That's the, the sex therapist website. And just finally, t- tell us a little bit about The Spark Factor. Where can people get it? What's it about? Oh, The Spark Factor is a book on biohacking energy capacity. It's found in Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I mean, even like the library I found in Mill Valley, they had it. I love that. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, so it's it's really a book on biohacking energy. It's actually ninety percent applicable to men. So if you you know pick it up, please write me an Amazon review. Yeah, it's great. It's very like she's great about just giving like very not just like saying like you should do this, but like actual things like detailed tactical things, recommendations, tactical things that you can do. And I really appreciate that because sometimes it's like sounds great, but like how? And you do a great job of actually yeah. like giving us the how. Here's some examples. Here's literally exercises that you should be doing. Yeah. Like, okay. Cool. Yeah. Totally. Molly, what a ple- pleasure, literally. Thank what you. What a pleasure. This was Thank so much you. fun. I'm glad we finally got to do this. Me too. Awesome. Such a pleasure. And for everyone, as always, chip on this. <laughs>